30 years later, an Amherst cold case still haunts detectives. It's the most gruesome crime scene, if not one of the most violent crime scenes they've ever seen in their career. A young woman closing up a Wendy's fast food restaurant was brutally stabbed to death. We sit down with retired Amherst Police Lieutenant Detective Rick Walter. He was the first police officer on scene that day back in 1991. When I got out of the car, he told me that his wife was in there and she was stabbed and he thought she was dead. Generations of police officers have combed this case. We break down the evidence. This is Unsolved, true crime in Western New York. We dive deep into cold cases and unsolved crime in the Western New York region. I'm Leanne Stock. I'm excited for you to hear my conversation with Rick today because it's so clear that he has a true passion to solve this case. As I said earlier, he was the first officer on scene that day. And as he worked his way up the ranks at Amherst Police, he became a detective. And everything came full circle when he was assigned this cold case. But now he's five years into his retirement. But his drive to solve this case has not changed. Take a listen. First of all, just kind of introduce yourself to us a little about your career with the Amherst Police. Um, I was hired in uh, August of 86. Um, during the, my career, I retired in December of uh, 2016. And uh, during that time, I held uh, various positions. Um, besides patrol officer, I was a patrol lieutenant. I was a lieutenant in the crime scene unit. I was a lieutenant in charge of the family offense unit. And eventually became a detective lieutenant and worked investigations. Talk to me about the 1991 Wendy's cold case murder. Um, what was your experience when the, the day that that happened? The day that it happened, it was, uh, I believe it was a weekend. Um, I was working uh, a unit. We had some arsons in the area, some car fires. And uh, around 2 a.m., a call came out of the stabbing at the Wendy's at, uh, at Worley in Transit. I was two blocks away. Um, I was there probably within a minute. When I pulled into the lot from Worley, there was a, a, a man near the drive-through window in obvious distress. When I got out of the car, he told me that his wife was in there and she was stabbed and he thought she was dead. Um, at that point, um, I, uh, some other police officers arrived and we proceeded to enter the building through the south door, which we found unlocked, which turned out to be very significant in the, in the realm of things. And uh, we eventually, by, we found Michelle, uh, deceased in the in the back area over the, the west area of the, of the restaurant near the back door. So you were the first officer on scene that day. Yes. What were your first initial examinations to the scene? What did you find initially to figure out what could have happened to her? Well, I think when you're a patrolman, you're more worried with securing the scene at that point. But looking back on on recollection, um, there was. Uh, as I opened the door and walked towards the back of the restaurant where he indicated she was, uh, there was uh, indications of a struggle. Her keys were laying in the area. As you walk through the restaurant, first of all, we'll back up to set the stage for the rest for the restaurant. As I came into the restaurant, the restaurant was basically two areas. You had the dining area, 
and you had the prep area, the eating area, the office area. As you entered that private area of the restaurant, right there, there was indications that something had occurred there. There was a struggle, there was a set of keys nearby. There was a garbage can that had been tipped over. And obviously there was some, uh, where Michelle had fallen, where she had, where she had passed, there was some, um, there was uh, boxes of supplies that were knocked around, that were moved around, indications of a struggle, obviously. Did you find a weapon at the scene? The weapon was at the scene, yes. And was that a knife from the, the restaurant? It was a knife from the restaurant, which we believe at, the, at the, the assailant. As you walked into that back area of the restaurant, there was a food prep table, an area that had knives there, and there's also a drawer that kept knives. We're pretty positive that that's where the knife came from. So if you take a look at the facts of the case, um, you know that this was, she was closing up the restaurant and that there was an indication from what we've spoken about earlier that that person that did this most likely knew her or had some sort of relationship with her, some sort of trust with her. Um, how do you think that that plays out for this? I think anybody that's worked this case, that's looked at this case, and has seen the evidence that we have available to us and has interviewed people that knew Michelle and that worked for Michelle, that Michelle knew who killed her. That's indicative of the fact that she opened that door. First of all, the drive through window was found partially open as Mr. Van Dinter had jumped through that window when he eventually, when his wife didn't come home that night to try to find her. Um, also interviews with every employee, every coworker where she worked before, previous Wendy's, different locations. She was a stickler for detail. She was a stickler about safety. The younger kids who were interviewed and took statements from her that had worked there said that, you know, you took the garbage out three at a time, two at a time. She'd have the restaurant door locked until a, a young kid's a parent would come and pick them up. She'd unlock the door and, and let them in. So when you look at the dynamics of what you have, it's evident that, that she let this person in very comfortably. Um, you know, what the, the trail leads us to the fact that the person probably pulled up to the drive through window. She opened and said, probably invited that person in and opened the door. And from there, everything pretty much went south. What do we know about the victim in this case? What do we know about Michelle? Well, Michelle was a very, first of all, good, a, good heart, a good heart, great person, very caring person, deeply religious to her faith, deeply religious to her faith. She was recently married. Her husband had returned from the Netherlands. Um, and she had just recently come back to work. So at that point, as we're kind of going back to the scene that you had seen that day, right. um, trying to piece together what happened to Michelle, um, do we know other factors, I guess, that could have been indicative of what happened that day, the number of times that she was stabbed or where she was found? Um, talk to us through some of those details. Well, one thing, one thing that, one thing, that is rather obvious that there's a lot of passion involved in this attack. Any investigator that looks at it will tell you that there's a lot of passion here, whether it was passion out of anger because of something that happened in that, in that area or out of, out of uh, passion from the past. We don't know and we're not gonna know until we solve it. But at the same time, when someone gets stabbed 37 times in the most violent manner you can imagine, you know, with most of the wounds to the neck and to the back as she's trying to escape and defense wounds, it's a violent attack and it's personal. And from what we were saying, I mean, it's a gruesome murder. And you've had multiple experts, multiple investigators look at this case and I'm sure they've had the same thing to say. We've had, uh, during the course of the 
the course of this investigation, first of all, we had generations of Amherst police officers, generations of police officers from other agencies who've worked this case with us, and they've all said the same thing. It's the most gruesome crime scene, if not one of the most violent crime scenes they've ever seen in their career. Um, we began, you know, we worked with the State Police uh, Violent Crimes Unit, Felony, Violent Crimes Felony Unit in the 90s. Generations of Amherst police officers worked this case hard. I mean, we work, I mean, really gave their heart and soul to what this case has been passed from generation to generation now. We're talking over 30 years of, of, of not being solved. Along with that, along the way, we had a ton of help from the state police through their violent felony crimes unit. Um, they worked the case with us forever. They worked it with us. They worked it. Um, the FBI has helped us immensely, helped us immensely throughout this case. The Erie County Sheriff's sent up uh, uh, their uh, Erie County Sheriff's uh, Police, uh, Central Police Services Crime Lab has helped us immensely. CPS has helped us immensely. Um, it's been a team effort all the time. We tried to work on it, and unfortunately, we, it's just one of those things in law enforcement where it just comes, we haven't been able to come up with anything. I mean, we've had some, obviously there's been some, some leeways here, leeways there, but nothing has ever come, come clean with us. I mean, you also got to remember that, um, again, you know, everything's in its infancy then. There's no DNA. Okay, we don't have any DNA, we don't have anything like that. That doesn't exist. Um, that's what I was hoping at the end of it, when I had it, that we would somehow make a connection. Um, we had Central Police Services, and we had Central Police Services come down through the DA's office um, and, uh, and Colleen Gable, and we, were, we had them go over everything with us. We had their experts come out, check it out, try to draw whatever evidence we had, maybe get some more DNA from somewhere we weren't looking, mm -hmm. and so far we haven't been able to hit on anything. And you, you obviously still have the murder weapon in we possession. Still, we we still have the murder, the murder the weapon still in possession. We actually took the back door where Michelle was found, yeah. and we have the drive-through window still in our, in our building. We, at the time of my return, we had a whole room, a whole room dedicated to the evidence and the case logs on this case. What would need to be done, or what would you need to have to be able to solve this case? As you just said, hundreds of interviews. You have endless amounts of evidence. As you have had hundreds of people review this case, what is it that everybody keeps running into that is stopping it from being solved? The unknown. The fact that she trusted somebody to let her in that room that nobody nobody knows how we can't come up with that individual. When you look at the case log and you look at the interviews of the people from the, the former, again, the, for, the employees, the former employees, the boyfriends, the friends, the people she hung out with, the church, she was a minister, she was so active in that church, she loved her faith. There just isn't anything that comes back to us. And this just isn't one set of eyes now. We're talking generations, you know, different agencies looking at this. It's just been something that's been there that hasn't been able to be accomplished yet. And it hurts. I mean, anybody's ever worked at it. You know, you think about it, you know, every time you drive by there, it pops into your head. You know, you think about it. Um, it's not something that, that leaves your mind. It, you know, good, bad, or indifferent, it's never gonna. And that brings me to a focus on you because you were the first officer on that scene. You worked your way up to the ranks at Amherst Police and then were assigned the cold case later on in your career. You've never given up on it. I've never given up on it. I still believe it can be solved. I think there's somebody out there that knows something because every once in a while you do get a little bit of ray of hope, at least we did while we were working it, that someone calls in or someone is trying to help themselves do something and we might get a little bit of you know, hope that, that can connect a few dots. But uh, 
I, I still believe in the forensics of it. Hopefully we're going we're to get a break with that, uh, especially with DNA. And I also believe that somebody knows what's going on out there. This individual, someone knows this person. Someone, someone knows this person and knows what they did and, and, knows, a little, and, and knows a little bit more than they're telling. And again, with, with the, the way everything has changed, you just got to hope and pray that someday this can be done for the family's sake, that this can be done. And also for all the officers that worked so hard on it throughout the years. And, um, you know, you just hopefully it gets done one day. And also, though, in, in terms of forensic evidence that we're just talking about, we've seen a lot with cold cases being solved from DNA evidence or some, or some other forensic evidence. Um, is there any evidence that the Amherst Police has right now they're planning on running and using and hopefully help solve this case? Well, the case is reviewed, you know, consistently. Um, I'm sure, like I said, that there, there are areas that pop up every day. And as long as we stay on top of it, which I'm sure they will, I know uh, Chief Chamberlain is very, you know, has a priority in this case. It means a lot to, he knows what it means to the, to the community and what it means to the PD and the guys that worked it before in our department and other agencies that helped us. There's one thing that is usually always pretty common in a lot of cold cases is the persistence of the family to get a case solved. Um, is Michelle's husband still in the area? Is he still pushing to get this solved? Any other family? Michelle's husband went back to the Netherlands a long time ago. We did have some contact with her brother. He called in, and you know, you know, everybody wants results, and sometimes you just you just can't. Uh, it, you just do your best. You, you do you do your you give your best effort. That's all you can do. I mean, obviously the emotions involved in something like this you can't even imagine. Um, from everybody involved in it, I mean, as a cop, you wanna you wanna solve this. I mean, anybody that ever put a badge on, if they saw what happened to Michelle. You'd want a piece of it. You'd want to be, if you gave a damn, you'd want to try to solve this case. And um, it was a very, very, like I said, it's a very, per, it's very personal in a lot of ways. You know, we most of the crimes we have in Amherst, through my experience, have been domestic related. They occur through, you know, through domestics. This was just one. You know, besides going to the bike path, rapist was a completely different animal because you're talking about a serial killer. Um, this was something that that uh, was so violent and vicious. And then, like I said, I mean, when you when you went when you went to the crime scene, you went there. Her, she's got there, there's, I don't know how many thousands of dollars in the in the safe. Her purse is there. Her car is there. Her credit cards are there. Even the donation thing for muscular dystrophy or Jerry's kids is still on the is still on the on the on the counter. Not even his afterthought. You know, I mean, this was this person went in there with the intent to confront Michelle in some way, or else a conversation went south. But again, there was no indication of this. There was no cup of coffee. There was no pop. There's no soda sitting there. There was no hamburger. This was right in that area that we discussed that it went south. Everything went bad. It was clear it was not a robbery. It was, it was clear that, that, was that not, person. It was not a robbery. It was not a sexual assault. There was no sexual assault involved in this whatsoever. That person said what they had to say to get Michelle's trust, to let them in. And who knows what that was? No, we, we, can, we don't know what that was, but anybody that looked at the case, anybody that worked at the case feels that she let that person in willingly. I mean, and again, we don't know. I mean, there's something there. Again, somebody knows something. And lives, as we know, lives can be pretty secretive, and who knows, who knows what? But she trusted that individual enough to let him in. And that's the one thing we know, him or her, and I should say, you know, and, and go from there. 
Is there anything that you would want to tell people about this case or ask from them um, that would bring family closure, bring law enforcement closure, and could really help assist with finding who did this? Well, just obviously, it's so far, it's so far gone. I mean, it's been 30 years since it happened. A lot of the players, you know, some of the police officers investigators are no longer with us. A lot of the witnesses are dead. I mean, if anybody would ever hear anything, obviously call the Amherst Police Department, but also pray for the family, pray for Michelle. I mean, that's all you can really do. That's all that's really left to do. I mean, except solve the case. We got to hope for that break. That, and I, I always got hope that we're gonna, that it's gonna happen. I mean, everything, it. it there's just something there when this many man hours went into something like this, and this many heart and soul of all the coppers that worked it, that it's you just you just gotta you just gotta hope and pray that it gets it gets hit. And we get a hit, we get a DNA hit, we get something that's solid or a good enough lead. And uh, you know we've 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 done some phenomenal work on this, both forensically and investigative. Like I said, the amount of time that went into this, the amount of effort that was put forth by the people that worked it, the care. I mean, there's a lot of times we get together. Or you know, you talk to guys that you know you might not like, might like as a cop, they might like you, or even personally. But when it came to this, everybody hit on the same page. I mean, you were all working together for the same goal to solve this case. And um, it's just one. If if you look in Western New York, there's not many quite like it, where so much effort has been put into it. I mean, DNA DNA solved bike path. You know, but we got a break. There was a break there where. You know, they were able to put together some things from evidence that was ACMC in that, and it was able to be solved. Whereas this one, we're going to have to get, you know, a break in the case that gives us what we need to match up what we have. And then we got to hope for that. That's all we can do. And and, and uh, just keep, keep working it. That's all you can do. And every once in a while, something will come up. I mean, it's 30 years, but forensically, I think we're going to, I, I, that's my, my hope has always been forensically, we can hit this. And, that again, it's just she felt comfortable. I mean, you're talking about a woman. You're talking about a woman that was so pristine about her restaurant. About a woman that was so anal about doing things by the book properly and taking care of her employees. She gave a damn. I mean, she cared about her, the kids working there and everything else. And she let that person in. Mm -hmm. There's a reason she did it, and she did it freely. I mean, that's been the opinion of most people. Let's say our theory isn't wrong. I mean, yeah. again, there's enough there that, yeah, you know, the through is half a mile down the road. Right. Yeah, she might have let a complete stranger in. Would that have happened? I highly doubt it. Yeah. I highly doubt it that she would have let a complete stranger in, especially in light of what was going on at the time. And what time was it? it was the restaurant closed at 11. She, we figured she was killed between 12 and 2. I think you found around 2. And she was probably finishing up the prep work after the last kid had left. And by the time you arrived, it was what time? 2 o'clock, around 2 o'clock. So yeah. he... He, the husband, husband the husband, the husband is becomes alarmed when she's not home by whatever time she's supposed to be home. Right. He called the restaurant several times and she didn't show. Hence, he came and, and found her. And what he found was he found he told us he found the drive-through window ajar. He found and that's how he actually entered the restaurant, not realizing that the south door was open. Was open. And uh, you know, again, I said when I got there, we found the south door open and and, and went in. But um, again, when you back it up and you look at it. Obviously, you know, he opens the opens the drive-through window. You know, that's what the that's what everybody's looked at this and said. She opened that front door for this person. And again, we have no. It's one of those things where today, when you draft it in six, I find it kind of funny because 
Now there's 10 million cameras at an intersection. Yeah. There's cameras everywhere. But back in the day, you just had that there. There was a, a gas station mini-mart, if I remember correctly, across the street. There was a used car dealer where, yeah. where what do you call it? It's right over there now. The yeah. yeah, right across from Mighty Taco. Yeah. Mighty Taco. And then you had another gas station that turned into a used car dealer for El Marini so Ford. On the other side, there was so many. Now there's 10 million cameras. We'd have got this guy coming, going, and sideways. Not to mention what would have been in the restaurant. And again, it's just, it's a thing of the time. But I got faith in the DNA. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I really believe that someday we're gonna get we're gonna get lucky on that. And we're gonna be able to be able to get it. It's getting late. You know, it's get, everybody's getting older, and probably the suspects even older now. Okay, and um, you just gotta hope for a break. You just keep working. You just keep hitting the wall. It goes in. You know, it's all you can do. For you, I mean, you you hung up your hat about five years ago, but here we are today five years after you retired, still talking about this case. Obviously something that weighs heavy on your heart. What would it mean for you to be able to solve this case or to see this case get solved? I think it would, be a, it would mean the world to me. First of all, because in a selfish way, what you just said, I was the first one there. I started it. I think any police officer would want to solve it before they walked out the door, especially when it wasn't, you were working it until you walked out the door and it was your, your last, last big thing you did. So it would mean the world to me, obviously. It would be, it would be nice and, you know, not so much for me, though. I'd love to see it for our family and for the, the police department and the people that worked it before me. That's all for this episode. Be sure to hit subscribe and like this podcast for me. And join us again next time for another episode of Unsolved True Crime in Western New York.